0: Gilbert family has been out here a few weeks, and so we're really glad to be back here worshiping with our church family, and of course, as Les Stevenson reminded me, that I spend my downtime watching movies, not solely Les, okay, but nonetheless, we, our family, we did manage to watch The Martian for the 39th time, it seemed like, okay, and, and most of you are quite familiar with the story, Matt Damon has to get off Mars, And the only way he can do that is he has to pilot a little bitty ship up to a larger ship, which is high in orbit, going very fast, moving at a high rate of speed. And in order for him to get up fast enough and high enough, the NASA engineers have him strip down that little space rocket to basically a pile of tin, right? (laughs) They have him removing seats, and they have him removing... Uh, this thing and that thing and all the equipment and the storage things. They have him actually remove the cone off the top of the ship because he's got he's to be going fast. He's got to be going fast to get off the earth as high as he can, as fast as he can. And instead of a, a cone to the ship, what do they have him put on top? A tarp, which sounds like really fun, okay, and really Hollywood. But anyway, so he puts a tarp on there, and, and you see him blast off, and he's going faster and faster as each... stage of the booster rocket propels him higher and higher and higher until finally he is going so fast that it throws him out into space where he is sort of careening around in this little pod at a high rate of speed, traveling faster than any man in history. And he's going so fast, but it doesn't matter. Why? Because they rescue him. Okay, that's what happens. He lives happily ever after, of course. Why do I share this? Guys, in a lot of ways, this is a perfect metaphor for 21st century life, is it not? Being propelled in what seemingly is an out-of-control rate of speed from one activity to another. I hate to rain on the, all the little kids' parades, but you have, how, how long, parents, you know, right? Four weeks. Machado's four weeks, okay, and you're going back to prison or wherever it is that you go, right? And, and, and what does that mean? It means it's crazy time, right? It is on. It is soccer and pickup and work and recitals and sitting for hours in the pickup lines. Thank you very much, mom. Stay okay, home work, parties, games, practices, competitions. And if we were to wait one week into the school year and we were to do a survey and we were to say, pick one word that best describes your family life, what would most of you say? Busy. Don't you love don't, busy. That's what we would say. Which makes our topic today all the more timely. We want to spend a few minutes unpacking rest. And so you can turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 4. We're in the middle of a summer sermon series that we are calling Rhythms. Okay, so what does that mean? It means how, as God's people, does he call us to order our lives? And when we think about working, redeeming our work, when we think about resting, recreating, worshiping, all the, all the sort of the patterns that make up the context of our lives, how does God want us to think about those things? Are we just kind of drifting along from thing to thing to thing, kind of no purpose, no mission, no organization, or, or, is, there, or is there a pattern that can really define our lives and bless our lives in a really profound way, and we think the summer is a good time to do this. Now, we're going to talk a lot about busyness today, and it's very tempting to have a two-word sermon about this, right? Some of you right now are probably wishing this was a two-word sermon, okay, but no such luck, right? So what, what will those two words be? Stop it, right? Or slow down, or quit this or seek quiet, pursue peace. Okay? I mean, we could, we could hammer this all day long, but when it comes to busyness and rest in our lives, I think that would be a mistake, and here's why. This is kind of the, the thesis of where we're going this morning, okay, the big idea. For folks, busyness is not our problem, okay? Busyness is not our problem. Busyness is a symptom. I mean, let me say it another way. Busyness, for you this morning, is not a problem to be solved, but it's a symptom to be diagnosed. It's something to understand what's the thing behind the thing. See, merely prescribing rest for busyness is like taking 12 ibuprofen every day for a headache that won't go away, right? Not realizing your head is hurting because it's disease, it has something growing in it, it has a tumor. Because we want to get to the deeper root behind our busyness if we're going to best understand rest. So that's where we're going. Hebrews 4, verses 9 through 10, just two verses. We'll read these and I'll tell us where we're going. So then, four oaks, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. Let's pray. Father, we, um, we don't want to be a harried people. We don't want to be a, a, a striving after the wind sort of people. We want to be a resting people. Not resting. Not, not a lazy people, not a slothful people, but, but a people who are resting in you in all that we do. So Lord, pray that your word would activate our hearts this morning as we unpack these verses in Jesus' name. Amen. Two, two parts of the sermon this morning, short and simple, problem of rest, we'll talk about the problem of rest and we want to talk about the practice of rest. The problem of rest and the practice of rest. My parents a number of years ago came to stay with our kids, our four kids, while we went away to play in Orlando. And we had lots planned for my parents to sort of engage them with the chaos that is our house. So we had outings scheduled and we most certainly had everything DVR'd up. You want know to I mean, parents? Okay. We had the Wii. We, had, we taught my parents through all the logistical um, instructions for how to operate the computer, um, for how to set up the, the video games. I mean, we, we had a smorgasbord spread out ready for them to entertain our kids because guess what? We did not want them bothering us, okay, while we were away, all right? And so, comes to find out there's a massively severe storm that moves through Tallahassee that weekend. So we're down in Orlando having fun, sun is shining while up here all Hades is breaking loose, right? There's power lines down and storms and the electricity is out and there are my parents stuck with all of our kids in the house can't leave, no electricity, okay, all weekend. Which might explain why um, when we arrived home, they were waiting at the curb in their car and sped away before we could even say anything to them, right? Now let me ask you this if you had to go all desert island Gilligan style, okay, got, got, any, got any old school people Gilligan's, Gilligan's Island, okay, no lights, no phone, no motor car, how does the rest of it go? Not a single luxury. Everybody over 40, Josh is like, what is going on here, okay? And they were to stick you on Gilligan's Island. I'm not talking years, I'm not talking months, I'm not talking weeks, I'm talking a day. If they had to stick you on this island for a day, you had no media, nothing, would you even begin to know what to do with yourself? Would you begin to feel anxious? Would you begin to feel panicky? You know, if you've ever been to the Masters Golf Tournament in Augusta, Georgia, you know they do not allow, allow cellular devices on the course, right? And if they find you with one, they'll, ask, they'll just kindly ask you to, to give it to them, right? No. They'll kick you out, okay? For, you're, you're gone. You are, you are done. And walking around that course for a whole day without access to my cell phone, I felt like I was detoxing from an opiate addiction or something, right? Guys, we... We complain about busyness, we complain about activity, but here's the dirty little secret. Here's the dirty little secret. There's something inside of us that really likes it, that's really comfortable with it. We are so acclimated, are we not, to adrenaline and crisis and movement and activity and to do lists to the point that when there's the absence of movement in our lives, it can almost feel a little unsettling. It can be a little disquieting, uncomfortable with the calm and the quiet. Can you resonate with that? Charles Purgeon had this insight, and I think this is really good. With quietness, some men cannot abide. Because it reveals their inner poverty. What does he mean? What does he mean? You know, when it's quiet, excuse me, God might actually have something to say. (laughs) You know, when it's quiet, God might actually reveal something to you. When it's quiet, your conscience, heaven forbid, could be activated. You may actually, and I, have to think about stuff, Um, And and we may have to like act upon it. And we might be convicted, and we might be led when it's quiet. And this is why Hebrews 4 can be really helpful to us. Okay, let's look back at the text for a second. The commandments, keep the Sabbath, honor the Sabbath day, keep it holy, is is the sixth commandment. And it's found in the Old Testament and Exodus and Deuteronomy and other places. And in, in the Sabbath, the Israelites were commanded to take one day, which was Saturday in their calendar, and to totally rest from it, to abstain from work, to worship. They couldn't buy or sell. They couldn't, they couldn't travel. This was sort of meant to replenish them physically and spiritually. But even more than that, it was to remind the Israelite people of God's providential care. That even though they were not working, God was working. That even though they weren't doing something to provide for themselves or to make something happen, their lives and livelihoods were in God's hand. And they had to look no further than Genesis to know that God created in six days that on the seventh he did what? He rested. And so this was, this was a, a command that that, that bound the life of the Israelite. But when we come to the New Testament, there's, you know, there is no explicit command in the New Testament that, that tells us to recognize the Sabbath in the same way with all of its sort of restrictions. And the reason for is that the Sabbath in the Old Testament was a sign. And it was a sign that was pointing to something greater than itself. It was pointing to Jesus and if you look at the text the writer of Hebrews is basically saying this folks you just you, you don't have one sabbath day folks you are in a perpetual sabbath folks you have sabbath all the time because Jesus Christ came and he died For your sins, and he rose from the grave, and he has given you spiritual rest. In Jesus Christ, there is no condemnation for those who are in him. We get to rest, as the writer says here, from our work of trying to earn God's favor. Folks, we get Sabbath in Jesus 24-7. And this doesn't mean that we don't physically rest. It doesn't mean that there's not wisdom in setting aside a day or a season or something something. In fact, I got this email response from someone yesterday. Listen to this. This person says, "I took a real sabbath today. Sundown yesterday until just now. No email, no work, no reading, just rest. It was great." To which I responded, "I hate him." Okay, whoever that was, right? No, seriously. It was awesome but before we talk about the practices of rest in our lives we have to undergird we have to know what undergirds this idea of sabbath you know i went to a seminary that was shall we say very conservative and reformed and all those things but it was a, it was a seminary not shy about celebrating its freedoms in christ right so cigars pipes cocktails Guys wore knickers. I don't know why guys wear knickers in seminary, but they do, okay? That was just in class. But nonetheless, okay, it was, it was like we celebrate our freedoms in Christ here, but buddy, when it comes to the Sabbath, when it comes to Sunday, watch out, okay? You better not go outside and be washing your car on campus, right? Okay, You better not be playing tennis on the tennis courts of the campus. It was like Elijah had descended down upon that place, right? The wrath of the Old Testament prophet. Now, understand this, guys. In their zeal to honor a day, they missed it. They missed what the Sabbath points to. You see, God's not just concerned with our resting, whether we rest. He's most concerned about the condition of our hearts in our resting. Does that make sense? not just concerned that you rest. He's concerned, actually, about the condition of your hearts in your resting. Guys, God calls us to have a Sabbath heart. And here's what we mean by Sabbath heart. What do we mean by Sabbath heart? Walking in the presence of God. Living in communion with Him. Receiving and listening to Him having a spiritual-mindedness, okay? That we don't sort of just take on and take off like a piece of clothing. That we are led by the Spirit. That we are in relationship to Jesus. Let me ask you a question this morning, Four Oaks. Is your soul at rest this morning? Is your soul at rest? What have you brought in here that's that sort of a disturbance in the force, so to speak? That, that you think about that thing and it is just churning and it is swirling. And then now think about what do you do in response to that? Where do you go? What do you lean upon? What do you do with it? And I just have to confess, guys, I, I have... I have a lot of work to do in this area. You know, Joe LeBlanc, who's my assistant, and Josh's assistant, and Dave's assistant, and basically runs the church, okay? Anyway, that Joe LeBlanc. She just got back from Europe, where she's from, where she single-handedly led the Brits out of the European <laughs> Union, okay? But anyway, <laughs> Joe manages my, my daily calendar, and I do it on Outlook, and, and let me just say this, I, I, I love my Outlook calendar, okay? I, I love it, Okay? I can see my schedule not just days, not just weeks, not just months, but years in advance, okay? So if you want to get on my calendar in 2020, Joe can make that happen this morning, okay? I love looking as far into the future as possible. And let me tell you what I love more than any other thing on my calendar. Ready? I love blank spaces, okay? I love blank spaces because blank spaces are opportunities to just cram more stuff in, right? Where can I pick up an hour of work early in the morning or late at night? How can I get three more things done before the kids get home in the afternoon? Can I meet with eight people today versus merely six? How many more projects to complete or teaching preps to engage in? And let me just say this, That kind of life, and maybe some of you can identify with that, it's it's great for frenzied activity. It might even momentarily appear productive, but it's terrible for Sabbath. It's terrible for communion. And by the way, this is not an apologetic against hard work. Pastor Dave preached on that last week. It's simply to raise the idea that that the way you and I, chief, me chief among sinners, Tends to organize our life, conspires against us. It conspires against us from resting in the Sabbath of Christ. And here's let me tell here let me tell you something that kind of opened my eyes for this for myself. About a year and a half ago, <clears throat> Susan, excuse me, Susan and I um, made the ill fated decision to purchase these, these Fitbit things, okay, which, which track your steps. How many, how many Fitbitters do we have in here? Okay, you're getting smoked right now. I just want to let you know that, right? I, and, and everything became about how can I maximize my time? How can I maximize my steps with whatever I'm doing? And so I began to walk wherever I needed to go. And some of you might have seen me walking up and down Carrie Forest. Parkway, and some of you have offered me rides, not because you wanted to help me, but I think you were ashamed of your homeless pastor. But anyway, but something strange began to happen. Okay, as I, was, I, was, I started to do this for, for steps, but something strange began to happen where this, this started turning into one of my favorite parts of the day, because when I was walking, I I actually did a little thinking. I know it's amazing. <laughs> I did a little reflecting. I did a little praying. I was kind of quiet. I began to listen to God. And, I, and by that, I do not mean Eastern mysticism where you empty your mind. And no, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about thinking on the word of God. I'm talking about praying and communing. And all of a sudden, I'm just wanting to walk wherever it is that we're supposed to go. You know, Susan, I think we should walk to Orlando. That is going to be so awesome. No, it's not, right? See, guys, our root problem is not our busyness. That's not our root problem. Busyness is a problem, but busyness is just a symptom. The problem is a lack of Sabbath in our hearts. How are you doing on that? How are you doing on that? Do you just feel like you're on the perpetual hamster wheel of do and do and do and go and go and go, never realizing that Jesus is not asking you to set up and order your life in this way. He's saying, come, rest, rest in me. Not not you're lazy or softball, but rest from your work, <laughs> rest from your striving, rest for, from your competing, rest from, from your insecurities and your anxieties, which are fueling this craziness in your life. How are you doing this morning? Jesus as your Sabbath. That's the problem of rest. That's the problem. Let me spend a few minutes talking about the practice of rest. You may say, oh, that's great, Pastor Paul. Um, that's Yeah, you described my life. What, where do I go with this? Where do I go with this? Turn to Psalms chapter 55. He goes, let me just say this. I am indebted to a pastor named Zach Eswine. His book, Imperfect Pastor, um, who has helped me to see something in God's word that either I refused to see before, couldn't see, was hard to see, but it's been very impactful for me. And as I call us to a different sort of rhythm about our lives as God's people, I want you to know I do that as, as a fellow sufferer, a fellow struggler, a, a, a fellow um, addicted to adrenaline kind of person. This has been very impactful to me. Let's look at Psalm 55, 16 through 18. But I call to God, David says, and the Lord will save me. Evening and morning and at noon, I utter my complaint and moan. And he hears my voice. He redeems my soul in safety from the battle that I wage, for many are arrayed against me. Guys, we have a lot to learn from David. Here here is David on the run for his very life. And if anyone ever had an excuse for not being purposeful about his day, it was David, right? How are you doing today, David? Busy? Busy running for my life and hiding in caves, okay? But what does it tell us that David did? And this seems to be a practice of not just David, but of Daniel and others we see in the scriptures. It says he ordered his soul, he ordered his day around three sorts of portions. Okay, look back to the text. Evening and morning and at noon. Charles Spurgeon describes it this way. He says, David, I love this line. David ran a line of prayer right along the day and tracked the sun with its petitions. Just think about that. Like running a plumb line when you're building a house. David runs a plumb line of prayer right along the day and tracked the sun with his petitions. And it says he called upon the Lord, which means he sought solace. He sought comfort in God. He sought the Lord for direction, for encouragement, for Strength and his prayers and his thoughts provided sort of a rhythm and dependence and communion with God in the midst of his craziness. Okay? And so I want us to spend these last few minutes together talking about what does it mean to have a daily rhythm of, of spiritual Sabbath rest in our hearts, okay? I don't even want to talk about a day. A day is great, okay? I don't want to talk about a season. A season is great. I don't want to talk about a sabbatical. A sabbatical can be good. All, all those things have their place. But I, I, want to talk, I, want to, I want to put my finger on where most of us live, right here, right now, getting up tomorrow morning. How do I have a rhythm about my daily life where my soul is resting in Christ, despite whatever else is going on around us. Because I think if we can begin to put our finger on that, Four Oaks, then we can begin to get at what really drives us, what really motivates us, what, what really pushes us forward. You know, when Susan and I, we've been here in Tallahassee now 20 years, and when we moved here, um, someone, someone told us, this sounds like an infomercial, but it's kind of true. They said, you know, Tallahassee is a work-hard, play-hard kind of town, okay? sounded like something the Chamber of Commerce would say, but, you know, we're like, okay. I don't, we didn't really understand what that meant. And But as we've gotten here, we have found that to be true. And we found that to be true. Because when, when, when the legislative session is rolling, when school is back in session, when there are 65,000 college students in town, by the way, that's the total number of college students among the three, the three schools here, Um, it is high octane, is it not? People are going, people are busy, people are moving. We all kind of feel like our lives are sort of swept up in this tidal wave. And then when the summer's hit, when the holidays hit, it is Ichabod, right? You know what the word Ichabod means? It means the glory of the Lord has departed. It's like, where did everybody go? And oftentimes, we can find ourselves coming off seasons of craziness, sort of collapsing into the summer, collapsing into the holidays. And we don't end up resting. What we end up doing is kind of detoxing or vegging out or disconnecting. And I think when we don't have daily rhythms of rest and reflection, it can have a a cumulative effect on us. We can become emotionally, physically, spiritually exhausted. And I think David provides us a real help here. Okay, so Think about your day in three portions. And the first is what we want to call the grace of the morning. The grace of the morning. Guys, the Bible has lots to say about communion with God in the morning. Okay, we, we know Jesus prays in the morning. The, Psalm says, the Psalms say joy comes when? In the morning. Lamentations three, God's mercies are new when? Every morning. See, hope expectancy new starts guys even even our our culture understands that mornings are typically associated with hope okay so in every zombie apocalypse slasher film that you can imagine every character is trying to do what they're make it to win the morning okay they want to make it to the morning even jane austen gets into the act right okay If the deathly ill Marianne can only make it to the morning alive, right, she will marry Colonel Brandon, who's like 50 years older than she is. Okay, right? So everything is like this expectancy to the morning. Zach Eswine puts it this way. He says, when we rise, God's love is there. We pray God's guidance is with us. We hope again and cry out anew. God is overcoming the darkness. We eat the daily bit we have. God has provided. We get to the work before us. God has something to show us. The dawn has come. The tomb is empty. Folks, what does the morning represent for you? We've all had the morning, right? When you wake up 20 minutes before you have to to leave. You're discombobulated. There's deadlines. Somebody's poking you in the ear, okay, from the side of the bed. Shower, out the door, crazy. Do you resemble that comment at all? We leave spiritually vulnerable, spiritually exposed. Some of us leave in the morning. We are tired already. Because how do you strategically think about your morning? I'm not talking about getting up at 4 a.m. and spending two hours in deep meditative prayer. Think about David in the cave. David in the cave. The Lord's Prayer. Father, lead me not into temptation. Father, deliver us from evil. Father, forgive me for my sins. Guys, don't make it complicated. You don't need a commentary. But you and I need to meet with Christ. Guys, you need and I need every single morning a declaration of of dependence. Jesus Christ, I need you today. Okay. It doesn't have to be fancy. It doesn't have to be complicated. Let me just recommend a very few resources for you. Okay, here's a few. Okay, one is Scotty Smith's book Everyday Prayers. You can get up in the morning, there's a prayer for every day. It's amazing. And it, there'll be a scripture, there'll be a passage, and God will use it to focus your heart on him. Paul Tripp's book, Daily Mercies, a, once again, a 365-day devotional book, a scripture, a meditation, and a passage. If you're wondering, Pastor Paul, I, I would love to get, I, I don't even know where to begin in the Bible, in the Word of God. Guys, here's a great recommendation for you, okay? Um, Reading God's Story, a chronological Bible story, Bible book by George Guthrie, okay? Here's the point. Guys, And any of your pastors, your elders, we we would love to come alongside of you. But guys, prayerfully consider, regardless of whatever else is going on in your life, how do I begin my day with a declaration of of dependence upon God. So that's the morning. Second is what we would call noonday wisdom. Because what typically do we find is the hardest part of the day in terms of being productive and staying on course? What is typically the hardest part of the day? Afternoon, right? So if if morning is full of productivity and lunch, what are we supposed to do? What do our bodies want to do after lunch? crash, right? Okay, it's time for siesta. And, and, and understand something, guys, the afternoon is a time where seeds are sown that only come to fruition later in the night, okay? The seeds of the dark night are sown in the afternoon, Zach Eswine says, that's a great quote. He says, happy hour imaginations come to fruition in the evenings. Men, let me say something to you. The lust of midnight pornography does not begin at 1159 when your wife goes to sleep. Its seeds are sown in the midday hours when there's discontentment when there is weariness when there is a flagging of spirits boxers will tell you some of the most dangerous rounds aren't at the beginning they aren't at the end they're, they're the mid rounds right because that's when it's easy to become complacent and not have a sense of urgency and you're trudging through and boom You get knocked out. Forex, have you thought about your span of time in your day, from that time between morning and that time between evening, with a spiritual lens in mind? All of us need spiritual smelling salts that we access all through the course of the day to keep us in communion with Christ. Guys, do you pray with your eyes open? Can you do that? Can you pray with your eyes open? Can can you turn off the radio in your car? Because, you know, one of the the hardest parts of the day, okay, for me, is when I have an appointment on some far side of the town and I am driving home that evening. And... Everything in me wants to tap out. Everything in me wants to crash. Everything in me wants to disconnect. Everything in me just wants to to sort of be free from the demands that I know are waiting for me at home. Guys, this is what David is talking about. Afternoon is when temptation seeds are sown for, for... for evening mischief. And so, Lord, help me right now. Lord, awaken my heart. Lord, awaken my senses. Lord, let me rest in you, okay? Lord, I, I confess right now my propensity to want to tap out. Lord Jesus, be my rest right now. Give me, strengthen my soul. Last part, and we're going to be done. Evening hospitality, evening. How do you think about your evenings? I don't know about you, but was your family one of those families where your dad always brought people home randomly from work for dinner? Were you one of those families? They were just being like Jesus, right? (laughs) Because this is what Jesus did all the time. And when we see in the Gospels, we know that it was the evening, which was the time for hospitality, the evening was the time Jesus gathered up the tax collectors and the sinners, and when he dined and when he shared his presence in relationship. In the same way, after work at the end of the day, evenings for us as God's people represent this idea of being together, eating dinner, cultivating relationships, opening up our homes being present for one another, re-engaging with one another. And let me just say this truth in advertising. As our family watches TV. However, the soul, I think, is not designed for us to spend our entire evenings in front of a computer screen or behind a phone or being consumers of technology at night. Evenings are not made for all the leftover work that we couldn't get to that day. See, because evening has a dark side, does it not? What, Jesus, what does Paul say? The thief comes when? In the night. Proverbs, the seductress knocks on your door when? In the night. Which means, as God's people, we have to have a purposeful watch over our hearts and souls in minds. Let me just say this, and I say this as your pastor my evening needs the presence of Jesus. And your evening needs that too. Psalm sixty three six says this. David says, When I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night. I don't know about you, but I'm I am a night person. And so while everybody in my house is descending at 10 p.m., okay, I am ascending, right? Okay, I am, uh, and, and, and there is a great temptation at that point to not to be doing something bad so much as just to be not doing something spiritually oriented, whether it's being behind the computer screen or trying to get more work done or looking for something to do or becoming Board. And when that happens, I wake up, I'm exhausted in the morning, okay? I have, I, have not, I have not kept watch over my soul and my heart at night, which makes the morning that more difficult. Four Oaks, how do you order and punctuate your days? Do you think about it? Are you strategic about it? Or does your day just sort of happen for you, Because my, my heart for you as, as your pastor this season is that we'd work hard, absolutely. That we, would, that we would do great things for God. That we would seek to build our families and his kingdom and honor him in the workplace and be active people, engaged in other people's lives, in our communities, running after all the things that God has called us to do, but, but with a Sabbath Folks, are you spiritually at rest this morning? Are you experiencing Jesus as your Sabbath? And here is the good news. The door is always open. Folks, the door is always open. It's open for you right now. Jesus extends an invitation to you regardless of where you've been, how fast you're going, how little you've been thinking of him. And what does he say? Come to me, all you are who are heavy laden. And what does he say? I will give you rest. Guys, that's the gospel. That's the gospel. We can cease our striving, cease our working to please him in that way and rest in knowing that Jesus, his death on the cross, is enough for us. Let's pray.